race car. I declare bankruptcy. Bears beats Battlestar Galactica. Depression. Isn't that just a fancy word for feeling bummed out? Dwight, you ignorant slut. Not only the years we've been at war, but from the moment as a child when we realized that the world could be conquered. You're listening to Great Scott, The Office Podcast. My name is Jay Ray. With me is my deskmate, the one, the only, the undisputed, Jacob. Well, I'm the undisputed Jacob. I mean, that's whew, that's a big crown. Even even talking like the Twilight Jacob, I mean, that's a pretty, pretty resounding Jacob, you know? Yeah, they've actually gone back and changed his name from Jacob to Teddy. <laughs> <laughs> so if you have a book that calls Taylor Lot Taylor Lautner says him, whatever the werewolf boy Jacob, that's a collector's item. So yes. feel free to put that up on eBay and sell so it. This is going to be you know episodes of Jacob, but I dated a girl, and the only reason she dated me was because she was a fan of Twilight and she loved Jacob in the book. Huh. That's, uh, if I had known anything about the books, that would have been a giant, massive red flag, but I knew nothing about them. So, yeah, that well, was a mistake. <laughs> let's, let's just uh, let's date ourselves here and age ourselves in front of our young, young Gen Z audience. Um, <laughs> but I worked at Blockbuster Video when those movies were coming out on DVD and had to stay open till past midnight so that a lot of creepy, horny mothers can come and pick up their copy <laughs> on like a Monday night. But yeah, and before we get into it, we are a podcast of the Broken Jars Network, brokenjars.xyz. You can check us out uh, there, patreon.com forward slash broken jars if you want to give us some of your hard-earned money. If you're an RPG fan, you can see the link down below to go to drive through RPG and buy whatever you want. So, you know, if you're a DM or whatever, you're going to be using that site anyway. Just do us a solid. Yeah. Uh, yep. Uh, visit uh, patreon.com slash broken jars, I think, right? Um, donate. We do fun stuff. We do voicemails. You might get a sticker. Uh, sometimes someone shows up to your house with a flaming bag of poop and says something terribly overtly sexual to you while throwing it at your oldest, most beloved family member in residence. But... To all our, our faithful listeners and Greg, thanks for the email, my friend. Again, <laughs> man, yeah. Um, we're doing our best here, and like we're running. Like I know that as season nine progresses, we're gonna have more and more stuff to talk about. But right now, these episodes are thin, and we're trying our best to give you an hour's worth of of coverage. So, if I we mean, look, really- not for nothing, but. If you're having as much fun watching these episodes as we are, you probably don't want a full hour on it, honestly, yeah, because exactly. you already spent 48 minutes watching this crap. But uh, it's hard. It's hard. And, not, not, you know, listen, we'll, we'll see when we get down to the nitty gritty of each episode. I can't say that these episodes are specifically bad. They're not great office episodes, but they're definitely not fun episodes to talk about. And we are uh, talking about it business. Yeah. So, so we have Suit Warehouse. Season 9, Episode 11, directed by Matt Sohn and written by Dan Greeny. Greeny? Yeah. Yep, yep, that's it. You hear all this forced enthusiasm? <laughs> well, you you know me. I'm terrible with names. So, like, yeah, no, is that Greeny, Greeny, Groany? Like, 
I don't know if is, is this dude like Polish or German or like I don't know. Yeah. Well, anyways, the gist of it is uh, we start off with David Wallace giving the office a call, letting them know that in a company called Stone and Sons um, has dropped their paper supplier. They are needed a new one. Uh, it's actually he specifically calls Dwight, right? Right. He's looking for a top salesman. And um, so that that's the shtick. And we are uh, treated to a montage of uh, sales pitches that Dwight and Jim had gone on where they go undercover, essentially. Right. And, right? and that's sort of a retcon. So apparently they didn't hate each other enough to not make money, which is something that's never been implied to in the entire series. Uh, well, I mean, uh, man, I don't know what episode that was, but the episode where Andy suggests that everybody pairs off to go on sales. Right, right. Jim indicates that this is, they've gone on sales calls before and he's aware of Dwight's psych up um, thing. That's true, but we've never seen the whole like. Yeah, we never see the makeup stuff. Right, right. But then even before that, we see that weird Polaroid picture of the printout of like the two of them with Dwight with a mullet and Jim, you know. So they do go on sales calls before, but yeah, this is the first time that they are implying that there is motorcycle rentals, (laughs) you know. Yeah, and they are like, well, as Dwight says, Jim is a closeted foot fetishist. Yeah, right. Uh, It never comes out, but. uh, Dwight knows, so it helps his character. And, and to be fair, as fetishes go, that's pretty PG. So, you know, at least Dwight didn't make up something too crazy. Like, he really likes being, you know, whipped while his foot is in a bear trap kind of thing. Well, that's the thing. You know, foot fetishism is like a sliding scale. Sure, sometimes there's, you know, glancing at a lady's feet on public transportation, but you also might put your junk on printed pictures of ladies' feet. And all of a sudden, you're not so PG anymore. All of a sudden, you are being arrested because your junk is out at a 7-Eleven trying to put it in the magazines. Uh, was it? 4 slash R, 4 slash way too, way too specific? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I never did it. Uh, <laughs> so, so that's the thing. Dwight's excited, gives Jim a call. Jim is busy. He is in Philly. He's with athletes. He's got no time to come up for the sale. And not for yeah. nothing, Jim's weaning himself off of Dunder Mifflin. Right. And this is, but he hasn't, you know, he's already, has he got already gone halftime yet? Yes. Yeah. So it's, it's one of those things where like Jim, he, he is two feet out the door yeah. with the responsibility of still providing for his family because we, we see that he doesn't have a you know paycheck yet and everything else. And, you know, it's sort of a weird dynamic. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I can't say I personally get it, but I understand the notion that this is like a passion project for Jim. And if it takes off, there's potential for like a lot of money. Plus, he's an investor. So there's that as well. Right. Um, Honestly, like I think when they go to Austin in the finale, uh, Jim is probably worth seven figures. Uh, That's a lot, I think. For for an equal contributor, and I don't know exactly what their split is, but oh look, it's a puppy! It's a puppy! I want to give him the scratches. I'm doing the single parent thing this evening, so. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, that's true. Yeah, it does it does seem like he's uh, he's making some bank? Well, his stock is worth that, right? If he can actually cash it out, because you know, private companies, especially startups, are notoriously terrible about 
well, they'll get crazy value even though they won't, they don't actually return anything. Right. Like Uber, they've never turned a quarter worth of profit even though they're worth like, quote unquote, 60 billion, right? Right, yeah. Uh, yeah, but uh, so that's the thing. So, you know, they do a bit about how fast would Jim have to drive to Scranton to make it on time, um, speeds that modern traditional vehicles don't make. But uh, Dwight is forced to find someone else to go on a sales call with. So I, I will say I have done the fastest I've ever done is 140. That's very illegal. And it was the most scared I've ever been in my entire life. Why you were scared because you're going that fast, or you were yeah. scared and then you were going that? Fast? No, I was scared because I was going that fast. Because like. Were you driving or were you in a vehicle going that fast? No, I was driving. Nice. So I, I had I had a WRX, Super WRX, very nice car oh. that I was going to sell the next day. Hmm. And the speedometer went to 140 and I was like, well, I wonder if I can do that. So I topped it out and that was a little like terrified. I, I never want to go that fast again. You know, when you when you do that, Jacob you put other people's lives at risk. It was midnight <laughs> in Oklahoma. So there really weren't like, it's not like you and around New York city. There's like, so, so what New York city is like seven, 8 billion people, right? It's a lot of people. Yes. The entire state of Oklahoma, no, Oklahoma when I was living there was three and a half million, the entire state. So I mean, if you're just you throw a car at three and a half million people, it's going to hit someone. As long as- yeah. Oh, it's a much bigger space <laughs> than New York City is. Yeah, that's true. But we also get the return of Clark, which that's is something. Right. Yeah, so he comes back from his... Uh, Prostitution. That's right, with Jan. And, uh, you know, it seems like he enjoyed himself, but he does indicate to the audience that, like her time with Michael, uh, there was some aggressiveness. It was like making love to a swarm of Bees. Yeah, yeah. Not a cougar like you'd expect, but bees. And I, don't, I don't know what that means. Yeah, I mean, maybe a lot of like poking, little Kill Bill style five finger death punch thing going on. Uh, yeah, or, is she like get out there with like Freddy Cougar claws? Like, yeah. like, I don't know what, it, like, in terms of that relation, I've never thought of a swarm of bees as, as a descriptor. Well, it's highly erotic, <laughs> I just imagine, uh, uh, I think they do it in Family Guy, but you dip your junk in some honey and just let the bees kind of, but it's a swarm, right? Swarm is violent. It's not, it's not hanging out bees. Well, it's a swarm uh, of bees. I mean, that's how I took it. Is a swarm of bees yeah. is like a lots of, lots of di- different yeah. pokes. Like yeah. does Jan just have like teeth in there? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Oh, I see. That just like the, the famous film Teeth about the woman who has teeth in her vagina, yeah. which is a real movie. Wiki it. Um, pass. <laughs> well, it's in your dreams now, bruh. Um, right. So let's see. Uh, oh, okay. Pam gets invited to go. Oh, right. So Daryl has his interview this day. Right. And, and, and Pam's like, oh, I can't go. I can't go. And then all of a sudden she's like, Andy's not here. I can go whenever the fuck I want to. And right. she bails and Takes the trip down with Daryl. Right. Uh, get some nice buddy-buddy moments there. They've had a, a decent friendship throughout the show. I think, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Especially because, like, uh, Pam has always been really helpful with the kid. Like, yeah. Yep. Uh, the Christmas episode, what, season six, I think? 
with like the, the Grinch or whatever. Yeah. And, you know, she's like, hey, come help us out and all this other stuff. Yep. Yep. Um, and they get to talking and there's a lot of conversations about like how they are perceiving Jim's time in Philly. Daryl's looking forward to it. Obviously, he's cut ties with people in Scranton or he's tried to. But he's still and, dating Val, which he's super right. depressed about. And, uh, you know, he's just stoked. But he's also concerned. He admits that he's not good at interviews. We know last time we saw him do an interview, he didn't do so well, uh, which was for the uh, regional the manager, manager job, position. Yeah. And Pam is under the impression that this is essentially a rinky-dink operation. You know, it's like four dudes in one room. It's basically Michael Scott Paper Company, but for sports. Right. That's how she, she sees it in her head. And, um, and we know that Jim's been lying to her there's no sense in making up a different word he's lying to her trying to make her feel that he's not having the greatest time because he knows she's having a crap time right uh so that is the chat down there um clark brings back an espresso maker and then there's a funny moment with oscar where uh, meredith says something about espresso and oscar immediately jumps in and goes it's pronounced espresso oh wait you pronounced it correctly. I just assume right. you didn't pronounce it incorrectly, uh, which is great. Yeah, uh, and that's sort of like a BC storyline to where, like, so they decide that they're going to we'll all drink them all. Right. Which, assuming there's flavor. 16, there's 16 flavors um, times like 25, or not 25 people, like seven or eight people. Uh, grain, which is a lot of free cups, but whatever. Right. But still, like, uh, that if you, if you tried them all, it would be over a thousand milligrams of caffeine. That sounds like a lot of caffeine. So a 20 ounce Red Bull is uh-huh. like 205. So you're talking about five 20 ounce Red Bulls in a very short period of time. Well, it shows uh, because throughout <laughs> throughout the episode, we just see them getting all hopped up and crazier. And I mean, not for nothing. We don't have to save this till the end. Uh, but it leads them to become violent. They um, Some of them didn't even get to try all of it because they start giving plants some of the uh, espresso because the leaves were looking brown or whatever. Um, they decide to move the printer slash scanner to the annex, which apparently has been a dream project for a lot of them for a while. Right. Uh, so long noise. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then do it, which not, well, I mean, let me just say that sounds annoying as hell. If you move this thing that it seems like everybody in this office space uses to the annex, which is essentially two rooms away just because it's loud. I mean, that sounds crazy. Sounds crazy. Why would you do that? That is inconvenient. Al Gore said that. <laughs> Um, anyways, they move the printer, rip up the carpet. Oscar starts having a little... Yeah, because there's hardwood underneath. They're in more places than one based on Oscar's reaction to the floor, if you catch what I'm saying. <laughs> Boner jokes. Um, so then they go on a, a crazy place to rip up the carpet, which is not a metaphor for what Clark did to Jan. Poof, edgy. Um, oh, also, Jane doesn't have any carpet down there. I don't know what she's got going on. Maybe she's all <laughs> natural because she's a GD monster. I'm thinking Craven from Spider Man. So, so but yeah. so like Daryl, he's in Philly and just is bombing an interview just because I guess he is too in his head about it. Yeah, he's he's trying to make jokes that aren't funny. He's like he's just not focusing. He's just not talking to them like people. 
he's built them up to be this like thing that you know is just unworthy and he basically psychs himself out during the interview that he can't do exactly um, like it's 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 insane like he is so bad at it which yeah. like which is given because he's been in the same place for 10 12 years whatever. right right yep but um so he basically says no i can't do it i'm just a paper supply guy or whatever and we find out that the other people in the room are also not from this industry whatever it is that athlete does excuse me so i'm just trying to see if i can find a list but about yeah um so we find out that folks are lawyers um they are from just a bunch of other industries including jim and it puts him at ease and he could kind of reset uh, and start over um so he's got some printed out ideas that he passes around and um it seems to go well for him. Um, another interesting part about this, though, uh, is before he, you know, before he even enters the interview, is he's talking to Pam, sharing why he's concerned about this interview, and they kind of talk themselves into Philly is a garbage hole. Right. Know? Well, um, I mean, it is. Yeah, I mean, well, not for nothing. I work in Midtown Manhattan. Midtown is a garbage hole. Everywhere around it is nice. So I believe that there's probably a gross, dirty, slutty little center of Philly. And something outside of it must I, be nice. Well, I, I'm sure there's parts outside of Philly, Philly that are nice, but do you see what happened to that town when they won the Super Bowl? They burned it to the fucking ground, man. <laughs> like, How else do you celebrate that kind of thing, Jacob? Mass this. public destruction. <laughs> uh, um, but anyways. Yeah. So I live in Pittsburgh, and as they say, Pennsylvania is two cities that hate each other that are separated by the Amish. Like, if, if the Amish weren't there, we would have civil wars in this state. Just, like, fighting back and forth. You know, I've been through Pennsylvania once or 12 times. There's not a lot there. I don't think a civil war would be that bad for you guys. You'd have a couple more things to be like, Taurus, come check this out. This is the great battle of August 2019. <laughs> yeah, but... Whatever. Every um, time I've been to Philly, it's always, like, I've always feared for my life, so... Philly yeah, well, fans, come at me, motherfuckers. I mean, I'll say when I'm in any other city other than New York, I'm concerned, you know? Like, I just don't know those cities. I don't know their streets, you know? I could pick up a piece of garbage on New York and put it in my mouth and be like, yes, I know where this came from. This came from this hobo's butthole. I go to Philly. I have no idea. No one, day, one day, dude, I'm going to fly you to Oklahoma so you can see the big sky in those cities, man. I mean, for, not for nothing, but for listeners at home who don't watch this, I am brown, so I am concerned about going anywhere too west because I don't know how it's going to move. I don't know. And I'm a liberal, so we I don't carry a weapon. Nearly so I don't know. is. I am from the great state of Oklahoma, and you know what? There's a lot of brown people and black people and Asian people in Oklahoma. Well, and do what, what, like, what, how much does their vote count for? That's a joke. Uh, That's a joke. That's a joke. Same <laughs> as yours, motherfucker. <laughs> I know, and I'm brown. That's what I'm saying. The correct answer would have been same as yours, yet you didn't say that. Son of a bitch. Okay. <laughs> um, right. So they say Philly's garbage. Daryl ends up nailing this interview. Um, well, he nails it by, you know, freaking out. Yeah, and then they calm down and he's got all this, like, I don't know why he didn't lead with the presentation, right? I mean, that's the obvious thing to do in an interview like that. Like, Yeah, I mean, it, the writers like this idea because they had Michael do that too during the uh, meeting of David Wallace. Start with the stupid video. Right, right. Have, yeah. But then, like, 
Daryl, for one, I don't know why he does it. He picks up a Kevin Durant signed basketball. Yes. Which is, can't be cheap. No. And then shoots it and then kills a bunch of fish. Yeah. Knocks down like a, whatever their weird Nerf net is. Ball goes into the fish tank, uh, causing some type of electrical disturbance, basically frying the film. It's a pretty good end to his. So, depending on the type of basketball, it's $150 to $300 for a KG signed basketball. That, that dude signs too many basketballs. He's flooding the market. <laughs> but still, it's, it's a couple hundred dollars. I mean, like, you don't do It's not like I'm going to walk into an interview and be like, hey, you see this thing, like this company emblem? I'm going to smash it and still hope you get, you know, I get yeah, the job. I mean, it know? is a basketball. <laughs> they are a little resilient. It's almost as if they were created to be repeatedly bashed against the ground and then hurled across the room. Well, right, but it, it's a signature on it, right? It's KD. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. When I go into interviews, I usually just like jump on the desk and take a deuce right there, <laughs> like asserting my dominance. Um, so that happens, kills a fish, walks out. He's pretty sure he doesn't get it, whatever. Pam's upset that what she's seeing is, seems more enticing to Jim. Daryl's upset that he thinks he doesn't get the job. A brief conversation happens with the, uh, I don't know, administrative assistant of athlete with Pam, um, who has heard a lot about her and is excited for her to move down. Right. Uh, which seems to indicate that Jim has talked about that they are going to do this full time and move down there, which seems to be news to Pam. Uh, so, yeah. So yeah. back to the sewer warehouse. Yes. So Dwight oh, yeah. thinks that, that the dad is the boss. Not Ooh, a bad he's... assumption. He's behind the main chair. Right. And the way the company is called, the and sons are traditionally not in charge. Right. And, but so he starts just talking shit about Clark, especially once the, the what he thinks is the owner starts bashing his son and talks about like kitty treats that each one's like a little snowflake. It's very bizarre. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, but I, I, I guess his problem with this episode is that which is, Depending on how you look at it, either A or B storyline, doesn't matter. Well, I mean, it, it's, and it's the, not even that funny. I mean, the athlete stuff, it shows that Daryl's leaving. Right. He'll be going to Philly. It shows how serious Jim is, and it's the first time that Pam has insight to that. Um, and the other thing, I mean, it's, it's significantly too late. We're 11 episodes in, essentially halfway through the season. What they should have done from the beginning is take the new guys and pair them off with existing characters who are older than Aaron, because Aaron is technically the newest character until these guys show up. Um, I mean, Val maybe, but she's like not really around. Right. And pair them with these characters like Clark and Dwight going off, because that gives these other these new guys like some legitimacy. Instead, they keep futzing with each other or whatever, and really only talking to Aaron. And it's like they feel so separate. And Aaron's been around since season five. I. I still have a hard time, like, when I really think about it, I'm like, wow, she's been around for a long time. Well, because she had the same problem, right? She showed up during this weird time with the Michael Scott Paper Company, and then she gets paired with all the new characters. She hangs out with Andy, who shows up in season three, then Gabe, who shows up in season five also. Um, six. Six, yeah. So it's like her, too, seems to have been separated from the rest of the cast during particular storylines. They give her, like, more weight so it's you know I, I don't have a problem with the clark and dwight doing their thing it just feels like too late like why are you making me invest in right. clark now and not 11 like, episodes ago this this would have felt better as like episode two yeah. or three of the season yep 
So it makes it seem like Clark is important instead of having him basically get be nothing, get prostituted to Jane, and then come back. Right, right, exactly. And freaking Pete, you know, he spent an entire episode making card houses. It's like these guys don't do anything there. And none of the main characters ever talk to them. It's like, it's weird. So yeah, I'm okay with that storyline, but it's just too late for it now. Um, so that's that. There's some weird dynamics. We find out the son's in charge. Clark ends up taking over that conversation and it works. And Dwight. I, I really liked that as like sort of character, character development is like Clark was right, right there. Right. Hey, we can talk about this. Like he knew like he wanted to become a salesperson and was ready to do it. He had been researching and ready to Right. Which un- Pete, uh, and we'll see later, wasn't. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Pete is, I mean, it's an adept comparison, but Pete is Jim. He's there because he needs a job. He's got no big grandiose plans about his role at Dunder Mifflin. And his time there reflects that. Doesn't really do anything useful. He doesn't change the way the company works. He doesn't offer anything as a team player. Um, he's just there, you know. Right. And as like from the writer's standpoint, it seems like he's just there so that Aaron can get away from Andy. And that's just so they can have Andy go do this stupid thing in the season finale. But that's that. Anyway, so that's what happens with that. They get the sale. Clark and Dwight bond or whatever, almost like their father and son. Irony or not. I don't know. Ellen has ruined that word for everybody. Um, Daryl gets offered the job. And so he loves Philly. Yep. Now he loves Philly. Um, And Pam, I think, starts to really see that her world is kind of crumbling from how she... Right. Yeah, we're going to see that at the end of the next episode where she breaks down. And a D storyline, Aaron was supposed to receive pens, does receive pens, drinks a lot of espresso, freaks the heck out. All the carpet's gone. Where are the pens by the time Pam gets back? That's- I, I think that's another issue with, like, especially both of these episodes we're covering today is there's just too much going on. Like, you can't really focus on it. Really? Especially if you're like not a huge fan of the series where you're like, oh, I need to know exactly what everyone's doing and all that kind of stuff. But it just it just feels thin. Well, stuff we care about isn't being brought up. Like, where's the senator in this episode? You know, what's the relationship between Oscar and Angelo doing now? Um, exactly. You know, so there are things that like they focus on things that don't. It's like, and, and, you know, they, they spend so much time in season eight building it up. And in season nine, and then all of a sudden, it's just gone for a while. Yeah. Yep. All right. So what are you going to give this episode? Oh, boy. Well, after some hard consideration, I'm going to give it, um, yeah, I'm going to give it a straight two out of five YOLOs. Yeah. Uh, I'm actually right there with you. Um, this is, I didn't have fun watching these episodes. And even though I have a, a day or two to reflect, I still don't have any better feelings about them. So I'm giving a two out of five KD jump shots. Yeah, I'll say usually I'm a little bit more chill when we do our podcast, but we're like recording on a Wednesday night. I'm all hyped up. I see your shit. You're all negative. I'm, I'm reflecting that. I'm negative too. Uh, so I'm right there with you. The show is garbage is what we're saying. Uh, it's just, it's a, uh, they don't, I mean, they're trying to do a thing, but I, it's like, like you said, they've got too many episodes or something. Right. It, I feel like if it had been a 15-episode final season, it would have been much tighter. Yeah. And, and I also think it reflects watching uh, a lot of 
Michael Schur's other shows. Yeah. Where when he has a smaller window, he tends to do a lot better. You know, keep it tight. And it's also, um, they, he, especially he realized that money isn't worth it. Maybe because he's made too much. But he's already said that like uh, the good place will end after season four or five. Well, it's like he didn't he didn't create this show, you right? Know? So like he kind of took over and he inherits a show with thirteen characters or whatever, you know, like these big arcs that intertwine and love triangles and all that kind of stuff. And plus, sure, he's the show. Well, he's not even the showrunner at this point. It's freaking uh, right at this point. He's pretty much moved on a, a PMR. Oh, All right, so season nine, episode twelve, customer loyalty, directed by Kelly Cant Cantley Cantley. Have we decided how we want to pronounce her last name? Nope, Kelly Cantley. Uh, written by Jonathan Green and Gabe Miller. Is this the same Gabe as like Gabe from the show? No, no, no. That guy's name is Zach. Okay. I know Oscar and Angela and Phyllis are all named after themselves. Well, and Creed and oh, yeah, there, there's a bunch of them well it's like well it's great about creed bratton is creed bratton as creed bratton that's right yeah right all right it, this is one of the something we get in this season more than ever is like really good cold open oh, i don't know about it but this is a good one this is a we, we 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 got the gym you know as the asian man cold open uh but so it's the dunder code yeah he had just set and waiting we assume like six, seven, eight years ago. Yeah, I mean, Dwight is digging through folders and accounting. I have to imagine this folder was elsewhere originally when it was set in motion. It must have been on Jim's desk or he placed it on Dwight's desk and it was something that was never looked at and slowly got pushed over to accounting that got slowly got pushed over into this closet. So it's like no one was expecting it. Um, sorry, I'm sitting on the floor and my smartwatch just thinks I'm on a run. <laughs> um, okay, um, so Dwight finds this folder. Reads it and it has a letter from Dunder or Mifflin. Yeah, Robert Dunder. Dunder, right? Dunder. No. Dun- no, Robert Mifflin, whoever Dunder. Yeah. Um, no, they're both Roberts. That's right. They're yeah. both Roberts. That's right. Um, essentially, saying that he's hidden a treasure somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, there's secret ink involved, and essentially, it's a it's a treasure hunt, right? Yeah. Very. Uh, Grant, I've never read or watched Da Vinci Code. But apparently, very Da Vinci Code. But I mean, in my head, it's, it's National Treasure more, with yeah. Nick Cage. It's a little bit more National Treasure, <laughs> but it's because it's about the Holy Grail, which is right. Um, yeah, so he's looking. Other people get excited. Pam lets Jim know that this is happening. Jim recalls it. Uh, there's stuff in the toilet. There's things in couch cushions. Leads them finally to the warehouse, where it looks like they ripped the whole damn place apart. Right. Looking for this thing and. The crux of it is Jim wasn't sure if he actually hit anything or not. Right. But uh, one of the warehouse guys, at Glenn, actually had found it at yeah. some point. And he's using it. Um, yeah, I mean, it looks like it. he's do- dipping donuts in there, right? <laughs> right. He's got like, he's using it for coffee and yeah. all that stuff. Uh, but it is a Holy Grail looking type thing. So uh, yeah, funny. Good job, Jim. But uh, it's funny because Jim never knows that he actually hid the thing. The warehouse guy doesn't know what everybody else is looking for. The idea is that he was so, it was so long ago that he forgot. Right, right. 
So, I mean, seven, eight, nine years ago, kind of. Or maybe even before the show happened. Yeah, that's true, too. I know. It's always funny when they try to do Jim flashbacks and they just make his hair messy. Um, All right, so. I got to give it up. As pranks go, I mean, that's pretty intricate. Yeah, that is a pretty good one. Really, the only thing. the best one, but is the most intricate one. Yeah. Um, okay, so where are we? Okay. So, Nellia yeah. started this social media project. Right. Which she has tasked Aaron and Pete on. Yep. And then she realizes that Aaron and Pete are getting sweet on each other and tries to blow it up because she's afraid that Andy is going to come back and fire her. Right, because she has uh, CC'd him in all of her emails leading the team and she is using a lot of I guess it's innuendo or something that like make it more hyperbole but if you read it as as something beyond what it was meant to like they are really going at it and all this other stuff you know don't hold back you know put it in her butt is that what she said (laughs) put it in his butt she's progressive um yeah so she's so she's concerned I mean, she doesn't realize that they have been doing this since before this task force right. was created. So she feels responsible and she makes it her mission throughout this episode to separate them. Right. Because she is, well, mainly she, she wants to keep the recommendation. The adoption and recommendation that Andy gave her. Right. He do, yeah. He doesn't, she doesn't want him to call and say she takes it back or it was a lie because he would. Um, right. And he's you know, been gone for months. Like I, I would, I mean, you never know with Andy. I he never, might show up as a drunk janitor. That's true. But I, well, I do not know the adoption process, but I feel like from Gettysburg in season eight till now, they probably would have called, right? No, I think it takes a long time. There's like interview processes and stuff. I mean, I think the recommendation was just part of her application. And then it's like, yeah, are, it's, are children available? But because, it's like another year, right? Uh, I mean, if 30 Rock is anything to go by, Liz Lemon spends a lot of time trying to adopt a child. Multiple seasons worth. Uh, thank oh. you for fanning that, Jacob. I can't feel it through the computer screen. Sorry, it is hot in here. I'm I'm sweating like a horse. It looks like you're, oh my goodness, there it is. You guys didn't hear it before, but Jacob decided to bring it back. Episodes live and he uses this weird shaming phrase. Um, I've been a whore in church and I definitely sweated. So, wow. Whores are not for just women that's right and women so well if you just go to your favorite pornographic website technically speaking i was never a whore i was just a slut type in jacob confessions and uh you get this really weird thing (laughs) of him in a sundress talking to a dude in a plague mask don't know why didn't make sense i didn't watch the whole thing but it was messed up Anyways, uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I had to break character. <laughs> oh, that was good. That was good. Man, I'm spitting jokes all the time. Finally, <laughs> home stretch here. I get Jacob to really like. <laughs> um, all right. So, right. So Nellie's concerned, and uh, that's a thing. So she has to find a way to tactfully destroy the task force without making it known that. You know, she thinks that they're right. trying to bang each other. And the other storyline is that um, Jim is supposed to be at CC's dance recital. Some ballet yep. kind of bullshit. Yep. Yeah. And he can't because some major investor pulled out. Yeah, I was thinking about uh, it. At this which time. they actually talked to in the previous episode. Yeah. And so he pulls out. I don't know. 
And so it's all hands on deck and he's got to do whatever. And he's like, Pam, can you please record, record the recital for me? Yep. Yep. And you know, he's like, do you know how to do it? She jokes. He's like, obviously I know how to record something on my cell phone. Um, but does she? That's the thing. I mean, and, there, and again, there's a lot going on here. We find out that Daryl is leaving. He's made it known to the office. Dwight goes on this tirade about loyalty to the company. Pam is working on this mural that she's trying to get. Uh, she wants to do another mural, basically, right? It's not just the one in the warehouse. She wants to do a town mural. Uh, Sarah Lipton helped her submit a proposal right. to the city. So she's waiting on a callback for that. Um, you know, so there's a couple things in motion going on here. Um, right. So Pam says I can record it, but we'll just jump ahead during the recording session. Uh, she gets a phone call. It ruins the recording. It's user error. Oscar tries to explain it, but that's irrelevant. Answers the call, gets offered the mural, doesn't end up recording anything important regarding CC and her dance. Right. That's that. So hold on to your seats for that whole fun altercation. Cause let's just save that. Till we- um, yeah. Dwight, uh, is doing this thing that he's done a million times. So, and it's always Phyllis who finds it out, but he's done the half sheet of paper over a full sheet of paper. That is some type of pledge saying that someone will be loyal to the company and not leave. Um, right. Well, season five, he did it with his apology. His apology. Right. 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 And Phyllis is also the one who's like flips the page over. And Actually, like, I did not get that. Well, yeah. like I didn't recall that, but yeah, That's you're right. Yeah. It's Phyllis is always, Keen to his actions. Yeah. What's the dumbest thing? Like, why? Why do the half sheet? Like, tape it down or staple it or paperclip or something, but it's always flapping around. Anyways, Phyllis finds out, uh, doesn't want to do it. Everybody kind of gets in an uproar, and Dwight decides to have a seminar on the importance of loyalty to the company. Um, this turns into a customer who had a complaint who comes in and is like the example of the importance of loyalty. Right, wow. even though it was really minor, yep. And like Daryl's like, "We're sorry, we a truck broke down. A truck broke down. We're gonna give you a discount." You know, and the customer was really happy. Yep, like that's it. Um, but Dwight says that's not enough. Yeah, and so he like pulls Daryl out on this quote unquote delivery route and has tricked out a truck with the with with the strobe lights and like. Starts playing fun. Yeah, right. Well, yeah. I, I imagine, so essentially Daryl says he wants to work at a place and he deserves to work at a place where he enjoys himself, where he has fun. Uh, I, I feel don't like, know what Daryl thinks, man. Like, I've never worked like, <laughs> you yeah. know? Yeah, yeah. Um, but I imagine Dwight literally just Googled fun music and the band fun came up. And he's like, oh, this is fun. You know, not really knowing what kind of music they played or what kind of music Daryl's into or whatever. Okay, so I do, this is off topic, oh boy. but if you're a fan of the lead singer of Fun, he has another band called Bleachers that wow. is amazing. What kind of music? I mean, sell me, brah. Come on. Oh, I mean, sort of, I mean, sort of the same kind of style as Fun, more alternative, less indie, but uh, yeah, it's really great stuff, and I love, I love his music. Um, for what it's worth, I was aware of the lead singer from Fun from a band he used to be in way back in the day called The Format, which broke up in 2008. So that was like my high school freshman year of college music that I listened to. Not quite emo, but you get it. You get those early aughts. So you were a freshman in 2008? Uh, no, I guess I was a sophomore. Oh, God, I feel old. You are old. <laughs> I graduated in 2007. <laughs> oh, boy. I graduated high school in 2006. 
Yeah, hey. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, so yeah, they go on this trip, and Dwight is uh, has his mindset on making this a joyous experience for Daryl. Right. Okay, so that's that. And, uh, and there's this whole side thing where Nellie realizes she's like doing this thing where she's essentially, as she says, I've aim, aimed their genitals towards each other. Right. Trying to break them up. And there's this big conference group thing. And, you know, uh, Meredith's like, oh, you know, like Pete likes to get freaky. He's one sick dude. Uh, and people are trying to like find out about his penis, which is weird. Yeah. I mean, it's a classic people are talking about things they shouldn't be talking about in a room full of people right. to the people they're talking well, about. And, very and what I do like about Nellie's talking heads in this episode is she's always buffering things as if, you know, other talking heads are just talking heads, right? But she's like, she, she, she knows it's going to be seen at some point. Right. She's just trying to buffer herself. Like, if I'm still here and he's still the boss, I need to make sure that he isn't going to fire me. Right. Yep. Uh, well, and there's another little thing with Nellie where she gets reminded by Toby because Toby thinks that they are an exclusive item that she made out with Toby one drunken, specifically to shut him up, which turned into full-on kissing. Uh, so Toby is essentially treating her like she is his... You've never kissed a girl, just shut her up? No. I have uh, done wrestling maneuvers, figure four leg lock, the uh, stinger splash. What about a twisting armbar? It seemed it seemed a little aggressive. <laughs> Headlock, you know, whatever. Steel chair, baseball bat covered in barbed wire. Anyways, <laughs> um, yeah. So so that's a whole thing. She's also trying to like balance out and mitigate or whatever. Um, I mean, can we just fill it, finish this Nelly thing? Yeah, yeah. She- so yeah. So she someone says to her, "Oh, it's Toby." Who's like, well, Andy was kind of terrible to him. You know, he left on this boat trip, didn't say goodbye to her. Well, he said he was a terrible lover. Yeah, well, that too. Right? Which, Which is like, such, I don't know why I know those specifics. It's such a weird term. And I, and I know, like, Michael used it a lot, and I guess they just thought it was funny. Right. But, like, that is such a weird term to use. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. lover um, seems very extramarital to me. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'll just say, we've talked about it earlier on in this show, but Toby was normal, and it was funny that Michael hated him because it seemed like there was no reason for it. Right. But, like, this season and a little bit before it, like, Toby's legitimately turned into a weirdo that even the audience is not really supposed to like. Right, and I I, I still don't get that term. Me neither. why? Why? Like, Toby was a really interesting character, especially, I mean... I mean, he was a voice of reason in the same way Jim was. Right. And maybe yeah. that's why they did it. But I, like, I feel like until season four, when he has neck injury, he was a normal person. Yeah. And then things happen. And maybe that's just like tracking the trajectory of the show. Yeah. Kind of peaks and then falls. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, before he leaves the Costa Rica, he does touch Pam's knee, which is weird. And a little uncharacteristic. But, but like uh, I said before, that's happened to me. Didn't mean to do it, but it's happened. <laughs> the only things I've ever touched on a woman was her... I got nothing. I didn't have a joke. And finishing it without... Hey, the you're married, so you touch everything. Come on, man. Nope. <laughs> 
we we wear those uh, men in, Robin Hood men in tights chastity belts with like the padlocks. <laughs> Uncomfortable for sleeping, but at least Jesus believes in us or something. Well, I don't know. Would, Jesus would frown on you because you're supposed to be fucking for Jesus. No, because we only if we want children. <laughs> Apparently, according to me just starting Handmaid's Tale, you can't fornicate without the intention of bearing child. So. Oh, yeah, no, we can... No, no, Handmaid's Tale is bullshit. No, it's a great, it, it's a great it's, show. Don't I get mean, it's, it wrong. It's, it's essentially show, a, it's a future documentary. The Bible they teach is not right. Someone email us right now. Can you bang if you're married without the intention of having a child? I hope that's so. What, because well, if not, I'm living in that's, every day. That's what I'm saying, bro. You <laughs> are in a convertible driving straight to heck. <laughs> Anyways. Um... So Nellie starts to absorb what Toby is saying and realize, no, actually, maybe Aaron should be with Pete. Reinitiates the social media task force, forcing them to work together, which both of them are happy about because Aaron also kind of cuts contact. Yeah, with yeah they've been Pete. trying to avoid each other all episode. Then all of a sudden they're right. together and they're super yeah. happy about it. Which is like a nothing, right? It, the, it, the episode ends like fulfilling the status quo at the beginning which is like a nothing and the thing is is like depending on how you look at it i mean it it might just be an office crush right like if if you're a if you're full-on aaron andy shipper it could just be an office crush that she gets over and goes back to andy right yeah i mean if you're a pete and you know clark shipper i don't i don't know pete and clark that is an ugly pairing (laughs) Both of those dudes could do better. Actually, no, Clark is terrible because he was trying to do that creepy thing with him. But yeah, so uh, Pam ends up screwing up the recording. Yeah. Gets pissed and really takes it out. I mean, it's, he had a, like, it's one of those things where, and I feel like this is one of the most real moments of the show where, you know, Jim is really upset. I was really looking forward to something and Pam screwed it up. And he, oh, but he also has these other problems that he transfers into what happened with Pam. He just over-exaggerates. I, I, I know, you know, me speaking for me, I have definitely over-exaggerated problems at home because of problems at work. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's a very easy thing to do. But he was wrong, but it, 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 at least to me, it seems very, very yeah. I'm going to, yeah. My problem with this storyline is that I feel like they didn't paint the picture of Jim's stress enough because Jim is not the main character of this story, right? It's Pam. So we see everything so from they, Pam's yeah. eyes. So Jim goes, good, 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 terrible. And we don't see that, like, Drop right. in. because I think you're right. There is a real stress, and he was in these meetings that ran too long. And the show, maybe and maybe it's intentional, but I don't like it. Uh, wants us not to see that storyline so that there is any sympathy for Jim. Instead, like you said, they do this thing where he's the good husband. They jump. I, I really agree with you. Like it would yeah. have been better if they had built, like had maybe a just one more episode. It may be a, a restriction of the seasons or whatever, but another episode to where you could see that tension building instead of going from 
minor tension. Yeah, we had uh, the lice episode, everything else. And all of a sudden, just Jim breaking and fighting. Yeah, I mean, we, there's obviously a film crew in Philly, right? But right, we were with Pam that whole time with lice, you know? Right. Um, and we and we only see the sprinkles of Jim playing basketball with Dr. J. Uh, and the same thing in this episode. We're with Pam that whole time, so we can't sympathize with Jim. So there's no nuance. Jim is just the asshole. He shows up. He yells at Pam, who we know is struggling. And the show hasn't shown us that Jim is struggling in that way. Mm. Um, so this confrontation feels really – it is raw, and I think it is real, but it's uncomfortable, and we side with Pam 100%. And well, it's another thing where they don't do good – job of showing him struggling because the episode where um daryl moves in with jim when they're subletting jim is just a sort of a dick not sort of dick he is a he is a dick yep yep i mean yeah not for nothing you know we just spent all last episode with clark and dwight selling to someone there's no reason really aside from not wanting to that we couldn't have spent a good chunk of this episode with jim like in that room Right. Maybe it wouldn't have been funny or whatever, but obviously the storyline's not funny. Like they're going for real. So they could have let us be in that room and hear what they're talking about and really see how hard Jim is trying for this thing. Instead, only showing us two bits and then Jim lost it, you know? It, yeah. And I think, I think that's, that's something I never thought about. But in terms of the show and showing it, they never show the struggle of athlete really. Right. They only show they only show the struggle through Pam's hurt and yes. pain, but they never show his pain. Yeah, which is why I think too, like when we join back for the final episode, it feels like Jim is the one who has to atone a lot. You know, right? He's the one who really has to apologize. And not saying that he doesn't need to. I think he probably does anyways. But as the audience, we just weren't part of his journey. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Like so I know, wrong. you know, I've had jobs where I've had to travel a lot and being away from my wife is like the worst thing in the world. And I would never, I you never put her in an arm bar. Well, no, his whole thing where That's he's like, no. where yeah. he's like couch, I'm couching in Philly. Like he's like having all this fun and everything else. Like, yeah, I have a, there are times where I have a really good time when I travel, you know, companies will treat me out all this other stuff but like i don't care how good a food i have or whatever whatever else i would much rather be at home with my wife than traveling yeah and and i I think that i think you're right that's that's a disconnect yeah and i've never noticed it till now and i'm not gonna notice it and now you just ruined this entire season for me thank you motherfucker it was a terrible season anyways (laughs) um i mean to be fair the difference is you're on a business trip you're coming back in a week two weeks a month at most you know jim is secretly planning their life here that's true you know and that that's the problem and there's nothing because we're not with him it doesn't paint it as like he is doing something for his family which is very possible that is what he's doing. It's, he says it all the time, right? He wants this business to work so that he could provide for the family. Look, look that, that is true. But like, even if I were to put myself in that place, yes. where I had to be gone a week, a month, I mean, I'm actually talking to a company right now where I might have to be gone a, a week, a month. Mm-hmm. And I hate it. I hate the idea of it. But it's just... For who Jim is portrayed as, I do yeah. not believe that he would be this nonchalant 
about everything else. Like this does feel like like a lot of uh, season nine feels like really weird writing. And I think that's part of it is Jim feels very nonchalant about things he's very always felt very passionate about. Yeah, well, but that's what I'm saying. Because we're not with him, mm-hmm. that doesn't mean he's not feeling those things. Like, right, but he's always can't... portrayed as just like freewheeling cowboy, you know. Gun well, safety I mean, Dwight. Yeah, but we know he loves Pam. Mm-hmm. And we've seen the things he'll do for his family. But because they've taken him out of the show, essentially. Right, and you don't see him do anything for his family right. in the right. meantime. Exactly. Right. And that doesn't mean that he's not. Like, even right. when he's in Scranton, he's at home, but we don't see that home life. You know? Right. So I think the show is doing a disservice to Jim also. And again, there have been plenty of BuzzFeed articles saying that Jim Halpert is the worst character to ever exist on television. That's fine. Maybe it's true. Right. But that, I just think no, that, that's Ross from Friends. I mean, come, uh, second, come on, BuzzFeed. Second. But my point is that I think that it's very possible that with the story that they've set up, Jim is still a good husband, father, and person. The show just doesn't show it so that in these moments of altercation, we have to side with Pam because Jim seems oh. to be the guy who's playing basketball with Dr. J who's, so, you know. So I, I want to say that in my opinion, Uh-oh. Jim has, is still a good husband, father, etc. but he definitely made some mistakes in the season where he neglected because he wasn't there with the kids, everything else. He just neglected, Pam, et cetera, right. et cetera. And when you're, when you're part like that, and I think they do, did a good job with the season, it, it magnifies. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, I don't think Jim is a bad person and I don't think he ever meant to be about, like meant to do anything wrong, but yeah, he kind of did some dicky things. Yeah. I mean, you know, this should be another episode, honestly, but uh, you know, he, he breaks up with uh, Katie on the booze cruise because he's upset that Pam got reengaged. Right. He leaves Karen in New York City because he decides he likes Pam and he has an opportunity to date her. Um, and, and, and people who are listening, this is something I put on the Patreon the other day. So if you want to be involved, yeah. sign up. There you go. <laughs> but, you know, so, so Jim has a history of being a bad person to other people. You know, Not for nothing, some of the things he does to Dwight is borderline abuse. Well, it's also, um, we see in the finale where Pam's like, you've done this and this and this without asking. So I'm doing this without asking. Right. And that, I I think day in and day out, Jim is probably a great dude, great husband, great father, et cetera, et cetera. But he's got the problem of when I think I'm right, I'm going to make it a quote-unquote executive decision, and you're going to follow. And I think that's, that's a very real thing. It's a very real flaw. Um, yeah, well, they've done things, too, and even shown that Jim has this opinion of Pam, but that Pam is, like, small town, right? Right. Um, you know, she has these dreams of the white picket fence and all that jazz and terrace. She never thought she'd actually go to school in the city. And when she does, like she doesn't follow through, she comes back home. She stays with Roy, who is obviously her high school sweetheart for far too long to the point where it almost gets abusive. And that's the only time she leaves. Like the well, show- and there's things like if, if I had waited for Pam to ask, this wouldn't have happened and that wouldn't have happened. And 
all yeah. that. And the, the show does a disservice to Pam also by making it seem like she has no agency. Right. The time she like takes charge of her life is when she tells people not to call her Pammy and she tells the bartender that she got the wrong beer. Right. Well, it, and it's something that it's silly thinking about it, but I saw this great post on Reddit. It's like, why did we never get to see drunk Pam after season two, episode one? Right. Like, I mean, yeah. I mean, I guess she was really upset that night. Well, so say that her emotions caused her to overdrink, and maybe that's not normal Pam. Right. But still, like, we, we, we've seen, we, we've got to see Jim. Well, I'm about, I'm about to get her on a tirade here. We've got to see Jim and everyone else, like, really express themselves, especially in weird situations. Like, we, we, we don't get to see Pam in the pool party kind of situation or there's a lot of those kind of situations where we don't get to see her who she would be you know i mean she could have easily found a sitter yeah i i don't know how much of that is like jenna fisher couldn't do the episode whatever but still like she really has got man i'm kind of actually upset now like she's really gotten a disservice as a character no i mean it's true you know she um yeah, I mean, she, she does the fire walk, you know. She leaves Dunder Mifflin to go to Michael Scott Paper Company. So she does get these moments, but to your point, it's not like with people. They're isolated Pam moments where Pam's doing Pam's thing. And she doesn't get these, like, you know, aside from whatever she did with Meredith during Lice, she doesn't really get to bond with other right. characters outside yeah, of the it, office. Yeah, it wasn't a bonding experience. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah. Well, what are you going to rate this episode? <laughs> Because we've been on tangent forever. We didn't read this episode. Yeah, I mean, it ends in the fight. It's terrible. Everybody hates it, and we're introduced well, to Brian. Well, yeah, That's you got the Brian doing the Brian thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah so I'm going to say, yeah, probably another two out of five. <laughs> I didn't spin because I'm sitting on the floor, but you get it. I'm going to give this a 1.5 out of five still dating vowels. Yeah, so there you go. I mean, stuff will get picked up, guys. It'll get better at some point, but it's got to get worse. All right, ladies and gents, we will catch you next time. What a missed opportunity. Catch you on the flippity flip. (laughs) Bye.